0: Hello and welcome to Artsman and Bites. I'm Imogen Waite, the executive producer of the show. This week, Tyler and I chatted to Mark from Auntie Donna about their new live show, The Magical Dead Cat Tour. But we covered so much more than that, and we talked about YouTube, the Netflix special, and Ed Helm playing the banjo. I hope you enjoy.
1: To an artsman interview, um, you are with your hosts Tyler and Imogen, and today we are chatting to one third of the comedy trio Auntie Donna. Um, thank you for joining us, Mark.
2: You're very, very welcome. And uh, and and just it's I'm actually one sixth of one comedy sixth. of comedy trio Auntie Donna um, because there are we have the three we have the three faces, but it would be um, uh, it would be awful of me if I didn't pay respect. To the three people behind the scenes who also make the magic happen, I uh, just want a we- little shout out to Sam, Tom, and Max, of course, behind the scenes at Auntie Donna.
1: It'll be remiss of us to not include the three people that are the backbone of Auntie Donna as well.
2: <laughs> of course.
1: <laughs> so yesterday you announced um, Auntie Don's first live theater show in more than three years, yeah. um, and it's called the Magical Dead Cat. Um, and it's touring in October and November. So can you tell us what we can expect from the show? Um,
2: Well, it hasn't been written yet, so your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) But what I can um, make up on the spot is that uh, it's going to have sketches, possibly um, it'll be, I know the structure of the show, so there'll be an opening act then we'll do some stuff and there'll be an interval where you can go to the toilet and then we'll do some more stuff. Beyond that, I don't have a clue.
1: I like the idea of lots of stuff. Um, um, I like, lots, <laughs> of stuff
2: um, lots of jokes, lots of gags. No, it's, uh, so we did this, um, very secret show at Melbourne international comedy festival. It was at midnight um in uh, under a different name because now when we perform as, as auntie donna it comes with a certain caveat people are expecting it to be good it won't be good but they're expecting it to be good so what we did was we changed our name kind of like a sergeant pepper's thing um not that i'm comparing ourselves to the beatles uh although some have said glenn ridge is as good as revolver but who knows um, that's, that's not me saying that. That's not me saying that. Uh, I can't even remember what I was saying. It's gonna, you're going to have a good time. Oh no, that's right. The testicles. That was the name of the show. Uh, and it was at midnight and we had, because we hadn't performed live, not only have we not done a theater tour th- for three years, but we hadn't performed live for about a year and a half because we were working on the Netflix show, um, among a few other things, uh, amongst a few other things. And, um, so we wanted to do a show to really kind of just like, remind ourselves that we knew how to be funny in front of an audience again. Cause I genuinely, I had forgotten that that was a possibility like that I had that ability in me. Um, and, uh, and a lot of the stuff we came up with is unusable. Cause we wrote the show in four days, but some of it is not. So if you saw the testy cool shows, we one of the 20 people that saw the testy cool shows uh, uh, the sort of a lot of the DNA of the sketches have sort of already been written and, and tested at this secret show at midnight, uh, during Melbourne comedy festival. But there's still, we're just, we, we were going to maybe do a best of, cause we were like, there's a lot of new people, uh, who might know about Auntie Donna now because of Auntie Donna's big old house of fun now streaming on Netflix. So maybe a best of would be the better thing, but we just had so much new stuff in us. Um, and genuinely some of the best stuff I think we've ever written, uh so we were like no it it actually feels more right to do a brand new show now so there'll be a lot of brand new stuff there'll be a dead talking cat and uh there'll also be some fan favorites some stuff that you'll recognize from uh from the netflix show in there as well
1: yeah and we'll get to the netflix show in a bit but i was just i find it really interesting how you performed under an alias is there a certain pressure that comes with a being auntie donner and kind of already being out there in the world um, and being having a Netflix show, is there a pressure that comes with having an expectation and also being labelled as comedy? Is there a certain pressure? Are there that like you feel you need to please? That come with being Auntie Donna?
2: Yeah. Um, yes. And what's good about that is then, then it's great to constantly break and undercut those expectations, right? So, we, uh, but the reason we did it under a different name was because, um, this was not a show for people. Uh, we didn't, <laughs> this wasn't appropriate for an audience. We wrote the show in four days. Right. And when I say wrote, that's a very loose term, right? We um, conceived what was in the show and what we were going to do in four days. Uh, and we wanted it to be that loose because, yeah, I think the expectation that comes with Auntie Donna as seen on Netflix is that you're going to get a quality show. Um, will you get a quality show when you come to this one? No, but that is your expectation and we're going to charge you for it. Uh, yeah. But a little more time and effort than four days is going to be put into it, basically, is, is, is what I'm saying. And if we wanted to do a show in four days, we can't really do that as Auntie Donna anymore, I think. Um, we had to do it as the testy cools. That's, that's what, that's, <laughs> but also the idea of doing a midnight show under a different name that was just, uh, like awful and, and, and really, you know, just like super, super loose has been around as long as auntie Donna has been around Our very, very first year. We wanted to do that. When we, when no one knew who we were, we wanted to put on a show under a different under an alias, Late at night, and even though our show was already at eleven o'clock at night in the Portland Hotel, um, we, you know that just that concept has been around, and I think every year, every single year we've done Melbourne Comedy Festival, we floated the idea of doing the Testy calls and it was never right, and then this year it was just like perfect, stars aligned, and we got to do it.
1: Amazing! What is the conception of an Artie Donna show or? work look like is there any formula or is it just a random unpredictable kind of meeting of the minds
2: and i know it, it will what we try to do is we have very 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 strict formulas and very very strict timelines and processes that we've developed over the last 10 years in the hopes that the end product feels like a random melding of minds <laughs> if that makes sense because yeah, it is a little bit of the, of a mix of both but no we are like so for example the reason so as i said we haven't really written the show yet right we've got a fair idea of kind of no we don't i don't know why i'm saying that we have not written the show we have some ideas and we've spoken about those ideas but we have not actually put it all together but we called it the magical dead cat tour because before we work on a show now, before we write any of the sketches, we spend about a week going, what does the show look like as a whole? What is the thing that ties it together? How does it start? What's the middle and, and what's the end? And, um, what took a week to come up with is that, all right, there's a talking dead cat, uh, that sits, that, that's gonna, <laughs> that cat has demanded that we put on a show to entertain them. And at the end, will be rewarded. Um, and we had various ideas of what the rewards will be. Um, so, so to answer your question and sorry, it takes me so long to answer a question, but to answer your question, um, we have, we have very, very strict procedures. It's the only way to let the silliness fly. It needs to have, uh, strict borders, borders and boundaries and processes because otherwise you can't keep track of everything can't hold on onto everything the show is baked at just the amount so it's still a bit gooey inside so then like because if it's too rigid and it's too it's 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 overcooked then you get it on stage and there's no magic when you introduce the audience whereas if it's just a little bit loose around the seams and you've got moments where you can find it and improvise and let the audience in and let them have their little say and what's good and what's working and what's not um then it just kind of turns out really nice and, and 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 special and so uh yeah that's what we've sort of figured out works for us to get us to that point specifically with that in mind
0: so we're going to your netflix special now congratulations by the way thank you on that it was amazing um can you talk to us about you know, because you start off on YouTube, how is it different? How is YouTube different to Netflix? And kind of YouTube is like, you know, you kind of don't know. The algorithm is this all-encompassing thing. I mm. mean, um, kind of don't know. They don't. T- YouTube as a corporation doesn't tell you about mm. the algorithm and, like, what gets promoted and what they want to see. However, mm. I, I I don't know. I assume Netflix would put a lot of input no. into it. They no? tell you less. They tell you less? <laughs>
2: less they are notorious um and i didn't realize to what extent until we worked with them but they tell you less they tell you so little they they hold their cards so close to their chest you get a few random numbers thrown at you and you're not completely sure what those numbers are um you have no concept of how they correlate to other similar shows um they give you less than youtube so in a way, it's be, it was very similar <laughs> working with Netflix as it was with YouTube, but the show had to be a little longer. Um, we had more people giving us notes. Well, we had people giving us notes. Great notes, by the way. Like creatively working with Netflix was um, a dream, an absolute an absolute dream. They uh, They didn't have creative notes until the edit. So like pretty much, you know, like we did a read-through and they made some suggestions, but they were so adamant about the show being our voice our style they let our guy max one of the six men one of the six members direct it they let our sound guy tom do all the music um which we never thought would be possible if we got to show up in the states we thought we'd really have to fight hard for that but we said to them and our producers said to them right up the top this is a this is a package you are essentially not working with just a creative team but a mini production company and they allowed us to fully you know put every uh everything that with the way we've done everything in the past they allowed us to do it the same with the Netflix show so that was awesome
0: wow that sounds amazing I can't believe Netflix yeah that's like not what I assumed at all from Netflix I've heard I did I have heard that you don't know and then like if you get a second season that means that you've done pretty well that's what I've heard um that's
2: pretty much the only sign that yeah. you get, that your show did, <laughs> did well, is if you get that call one day and you never know when that call's gonna come.
0: <laughs> what is it like working with Ed Helms?
2: It was pretty incredible. That was a real like pinch yourself kinda, kinda thing. And not only just working with him, but being in the same office where he worked. <laughs> so we, we uh, made the show in LA. Um, and so we moved to LA for about six months. And we're living in Hollywood Uh, and I was living just off. We we were living in two different houses and Zach and I were in this two bedroom apartment and the other guys were in this big four bedroom place. Um, But where Zach and I were, was right off Hollywood Boulevard, which is um, uh, for people who may or may not know, there's like the Chinese theater, which is like, you know, where like star Wars had its premiere in 1977. We, and, and we, and the Dobley theater where they hold the Oscars every year was a two minute walk from our, from our front door. Right. And so, um, and then we were riding on uh, I think Santa Monica Boulevard. I think, I don't know. I can't remember street names. I'm terrible. That's where Ed's office is where we his production office, where we're working out of. And uh, we would just be, we were just in this room and the walls were like bare and we're just working on this like little trestle table because they hadn't like done that room up nicely yet. They just sort of purchased that, part of the office and the walls were like littered with um, post-it notes and all our all our writing stuff. And we had all our laptops crammed up onto this little thing, this big glass wall. And then every now we'd just look across and Ed was in his like beautiful office and there's like this framed photo of the last table read of the office, of the actual show, The Office, like framed on his wall. And he's just sitting there playing the banjo. And we're like, what are we doing? We're like, what is going on? on how what first of all why is our room so crappy and his is so nice that was the first
1: question
2: (laughs) and secondly just like it was it was a real um how did how did we get here you know like what how did things just work out and work out so well to get to this point you know and he's and he's so sweet and he's so supportive he's been so supportive uh, supportive of us all the way through and such a delight to work with like we pitched him the egg idea and he just jumped on it straight away um uh, whereas i think maybe a lot of other people would not have um, he was so yeah really 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 great and 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 he and um we also got to work with scott ockerman who, who produced the show and, and is in the show Uh, a little bit from comedy bang bang and um working with them was was equally as incredible because they introduced us we didn't know anyone in la like the only people we know are like the same people that you know like the like you know like movie stars and so when we're trying to cast the show we were asking like we were like you know let's get danny devito and let's get Let's get, like, these, like, huge, huge names. I think at one point we we're talking about getting Lil Naz in the show and, like, you know, is Lady Gaga available? Like, we're just, like, Catherine, Catherine O'Hara, can we get her? Like, we just had no concept, right? And And Scott and Ed were really good. They're people who have their ear a lot closer to the ground in the comedy scene in L.A., and then they hooked this up with people like, um, Tawny Newman and, uh, and, and like a bunch of other, like really great, uh, newer, younger comics that we could, um, fill the show with. So that was a really incredible part of getting to work with them.
0: Amazing. So how did you get to work with him? Did you, is it through Netflix Did they partner you up or did you, how, how, how even do you get to work with Ed Helms?
2: It was, it was a, uh, very strange six year journey. Um, uh, to get this show up uh, and not six years of just like constantly going at it, but six years of back and forthing um, to LA. But the first time we went to LA, we got this random email, which we thought was potentially spam from this guy who was like, I'm a, uh, I'm a manager here. I'm mostly a literary manager i work with screenwriters in la i came across your stuff on youtube and this is very early days this is six years ago so before we were really much of a name in the in the scene just kind of just starting out had a few little viral hits and it was like i love your stuff i'd love to try and make something happen for you over here would you be interested in coming to la and um, meeting with some people and we were like th- this person may be a murderer but let's roll the dice and uh and see, at most we're committing ourselves to a week in LA and there's no way you could get all six of us, maybe three of us will, will get murdered and we'll be able to survive with another three, all right? So, so we get there and uh, all the way, we, you know, we go into this. He didn't have a website, which was weird. His company didn't have a website. we well, like, all right, people we usually have websites, right? And so then we get in, we go to this building, we're in LA, we go into this building to go and meet him. We go up this elevator, we walk into this hall. It looked almost like Kubrick-esque in the sense that it was just like symmetrical and bland and just like these brown doors, just these like gray hallways and gray carpet, like what's going on? And then we open the door to this office and then we were like, oh, it's legit, right? It was like, it's legit, Because we didn't realize that just every building in LA looks that way. And everyone has these offices in these weird, like they look semi-empty buildings. Then you go through these brown doors and then that's where all the magic is. But they had like framed scripts up on the wall and they had this big section of awards and there's just all these agents just like working and getting stuff done. We ended up meeting with like every producer we met with so many producers we had like four or five meetings a day after we met him the first thing we did and we'd just gone off a plane was go to uh go to fox studios like right where they write the simpsons where they've written every episode of the simpsons right we saw that that building on fox studios and we go into this room and we meet the producers of new girl Right. And they're like, pitch us a show. And we're like, we well, just got off a of plane. All right. <laughs> we met with like Tim and Eric's production company. We met with Lauren Michaels production company. We just met with, um, everyone. It was so legit. I couldn't believe it. Right. And then one of the meetings we happened to have was with Ed Helms's production, uh, pro- uh, 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 producing partner, his name's Mike Felbo. Right. And it was a very so, so meeting. We got along, But even our manager was like, this guy's probably not going to be your speed and you guys probably aren't going to want to, it's probably not going to work. Right. But say hello because he's a nice guy and I like him. So we met him, we said hello. And then, you know, you skip forward three months and out of all those meetings we had, so many of which felt really good, really incredible. And we were like, something's going to happen here. They all fizzled out. They all just fizzled out and died and no one got back to us. But Ed's company, we like, I liked those guys. Let's keep talking. And then for the next five years, every couple of months, we'd send an email, be like checking in. How are we going? We're going good. Next time you guys are in LA, let's catch up. We would catch up very slowly. We started to develop an idea for a show. We started to talk to a few different networks. And then after six years of just talking every, every now and then the stars are aligned. And then it was like, Time to pitch. We've got the idea. It's good. We've worked on it. We're in LA because we were doing some live shows. Let's, let's just do it. And then we did. And they said, yes, (laughs) for some reason.
0: So it's a six year relationship that you had to build upon basically.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And not let die right? Because we're on the other side of the world. It's so easy for people to forget about us, right? Because they have their lives. We're not, we can't catch up for coffee every day or every couple of weeks. We're never going to bump into them. Right. We, and, and the time zones are so different. We have to keep reminding them that we were like, Hey, we're here. And we want to, and we want to make something happen and then be like, Oh, great. Next time you're in LA, make sure you say hello. So we just committed a lot of money and a lot of time to just being in LA as often as we could to keep that relationship happening. You know, it was very, very slow process, but one that ultimately paid off for us in the end.
0: Yeah, wow. I'm going back to your roots, YouTube. How has your audience changed since 2012 when Auntie Donna's Rumpus Room was posted on Channel 31? YouTube channel, by the way, sign the petition everyone. To keep it live. Yeah. I felt like 2012 for YouTube was a very, it was like when it broke into mainstream. Mm. Before that, YouTube was like this completely separate thing. And then, like, after 2012, I was reading Girlfriend Magazine, and then YouTubers were in Girlfriend Magazine. (laughs) So, like, like 2012 was the, sorry, like, that's just like how I judged it. (laughs) Yeah. It became so like, I feel like you were in that like you were right in there when it became mainstream and you're and it kind of blew up. So how how has you like how has YouTube in your opinion and your audience evolved over the past nine years?
2: Well, we have we have them. We have an audience now, I <laughs> think, which is really nice. Because <laughs> at the time we did not. Um, but uh it's it's funny it's funny you say that because I and we feel like we were behind because we only started in 2012. So I agree with you in the sense that that's when it broke into the mainstream, but it broke into the mainstream with the people who had already been doing YouTube when it was in its infancy, you know, who'd been doing it for like five or six years. Right. Whereas we stepped into it when it, when it was breaking through. So we just caught the tail end of it because scripted content at that time in 2012, was very big, but it was starting to die. Right. And we came in doing scripted content just as that started to not really be what you did on YouTube anymore, because we were, we were like 25, I was like 25, I think at that time, a little bit younger, 23. Right. And when we first went viral on Reddit, we all went, what is Reddit? We, do, we didn't, we just didn't know. We didn't even know YouTube. Like we put it up. We thought our YouTube channel when we started it would be a place to put trailers for our live shows so just so we could, and we didn't have any thought to how videos go viral on YouTube or that you had to build subscribers or that if you didn't have subscribers, no one would see your video. So we're like, uh, you know, just just because we wanted to make trailers but we didn't know where to put them and the only place we knew you could put video content was on youtube we were so ignorant we were so we just had no clue and the fact that some life-saving career creating human saw one of our videos uh because auntie donna's rumpus room we did because a friend of mine was like saw our live show, was like, hey, you guys would be really great for this little community TV show called Lost Dog I'm doing. Would you want to do it? The good thing about it is that after you do it, you get to put the videos on your YouTube channel. And we were like, all right. (laughs) Like we wanted to make some, we wanted to make a TV show one day, so we are like, we'll try it. But we had no expectation or, or no thought was put behind putting these videos on YouTube. The only reason we did it, was because the guy who was doing the lost dog channel, the, the, the TV show that Rumpus Room was a part of said to do it. If he hadn't said to do it, we wouldn't have done it. Like we legitimately wouldn't have put them on YouTube. We would, we just wouldn't have thought to have done it. Um, and then, yeah, some, some lifesaver, somehow some guy in America who understood what Reddit was and was part of the Reddit community saw one of our videos, put it on Reddit posted it to our slash, uh, our videos and it, and it, and it was the first sort of spark. And then from there, you know, things kept happening for us, but Oh, we, we were so lucky. We had no idea what we were doing guys. We had no idea what we were doing, <laughs> but then like, yeah, our audiences, my goodness, our audience now, like, uh, when is this going out? Is this going out soon?
0: Uh, it will be on air next week, but I'll post it like tomorrow on our
2: Okay, great. Listen
1: on- um,
0: and Bites, which is our podcast.
2: Oh, great. Uh, how exciting. It's the um,
0: most popular podcast on Sin. Thank you. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: that, that's very our cool.
1: Promo.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you got to do it. Um, I mean, currently, our tickets went on sale less than 48 hours ago, and every Melbourne is sold out.
0: Yeah.
2: I saw that on um, Reddit. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And we're just in the office today, freaking out. And like we sold out a Perth show and we've had to add extra shows in, in Perth and Brisbane and Sydney. And, um, uh, and, and hopefully we're going to add some more shows in Melbourne, but we're not sure we're working on that now. It's like, our fans are hungry and supportive and like really, but I think they have bought that. I don't know. I think they've always been that way. Like I I still remember the first time we had fans come to a show. It was, uh, we went to, we did a show in Sydney when we were four performing members strong. And, um, there were four people, four people in the front row who we'd never seen before who we didn't know. And they were like, we're fans. We found out about you on YouTube and we're like, whoa. And then, uh, and then we lost, we lost a performing member. We did a comedy festival, the show called world's greatest Showbag," And again, like, you know, for the, I think in the first three, the first three shows were like filled with friends and family. And then like the fourth show, the whole front row was filled with a bunch of rowdy boys who who just like knew who we were and that was it. And just as we've gone on, those people have filled more seats and are continuing to feel like people who are just, who know who we are and are just so excited to see it because we speak to them for some reason, what we do speaks to them in a way that, that resonates um, and they feel connected to it. And that drives them to like, want to support us. Uh, And, and, and I'm just seeing it's overwhelming now how many of that level of fans there are. Cause obviously we have casual fans, but I would say we have more fevered fans than we have casual fans. You know, we have more people who really, really, really care than we do people who are, who are, who are so-so, which I think is, is pretty special.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being in yeah. high school when the video PUD came out was- You were in high school when PUD came out? Yeah.
2: Oh my God! <laughs>
0: When that happened, being there, it was just like, that was playing at like lunchtime so much on people's laptops.
2: (laughs) Really? That's blows my mind. That is such a big sign to be like, I mean, I'm not that old, but like to be in my thirties and to think that the content I'm creating resonates or would maybe have resonated with a 15, 16 year old me when I was in high school is the greatest compliment like, cause we make comedy for us. That's, that's the thing as, as a writer, um, I, I write for me. I think that's the best thing to do is I, I don't like to write for an audience that I don't know. You know, I, I think like there are, you know, probably talented writers who can do that <laughs> much better, are <laughs> much better writers because, but for me, it's like, I only ever really write for me, what someone, what resonates for someone my age, you know, and, um, who grew up, with the things that I grew up with. So to think that it's, uh, it's cross generational is nuts. I don't know if we're in a different generation, but maybe you're Zed and I'm millennial. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how old you guys are and you don't have to say, but that is crazy to me. That's that's The greatest compliment of all. Well, I've got, we've got people now sending us videos of like their three year old, four year old kids, like watching morning Brown, and singing along and my first thought is you're a bad parent but my second thought is like isn't that incredible (laughs) (laughs) that like that like that that we make things that that people that young like something about it clicks to them it clicks with them and resonates with them I don't know it's it's quite overwhelming
0: it's awesome it's awesome we have four minutes left um, I know we want to ask you, we want to ask you about RuPaul's Drag Race. I'll let oh, yeah. Kyla ask that because she's an absolute
1: fan. Because yeah, because I watch Drag Race and Under and I love it, but yeah. I just want to know, I just feel like, it, cause obviously you, you made a cameo in it. Yeah. Um, what was that experience like?
2: Well, it was, uh, I mean, it, it was shot almost, I think at that time, COVID was still a pretty full on thing. Uh, uh, so we weren't, you know, we didn't go over to New Zealand. We shot that here, and um, we shot that separate. Um, but when our Netflix show came out, RuPaul posted about it. Uh, he tweeted about it and was like, "I love this show," and we're like, "Oh!" And then, uh, and then he DM'd us and was like, "I think you guys are bees knees," and we're like. Oh my God. Um, because, uh, uh, I'm quite a fan of the show. Um, I know Zach is really quite a fan of the show as well. So we're very, very excited. Then we found out because we have the same management that our good friend, Reese Nicholson was going to be a judge was going to be the other judge. Cause I thought it would, I thought down under would be done in the same way that like, um, uh, a drag race, Thailand was done or, or Canada was done. I, I was like, "Ruse." Probably not going to be on the show. It'll be like you know an offshoot of it. Uh, and then I just remember my my manager. I was talking to my manager, and, sh- and and I was like, "Who are the other judges?" And she was like, "Michelle and Rue. <laughs> And I screamed. I was like, oh, what? Reese and Michelle and Rue? But how cool is that? Like, I was just it was it was a really really cool moment. Really really cool moment. And then. After that, we got asked to do, do a little bit on it. And um, thank goodness. All I'll say is thank goodness for Scarlett Adams because it would have been very embarrassing for us had someone <laughs> had Scarlett Adams
1: not been, Scarlett not been is on such that show. <laughs> he was so, I was like, oh, my gosh, her reaction. I know, she was like, I mean, aren't you I mean, Donna?
2: And she's like, oh, you know, I'm more excited for them than I was Danny McNogue. And like, you look at some of the other, you look at some of the other queens, all of the other queens, and they have no idea who we are. Yeah, so all I will say is uh, thank thank goodness for Scarlett
0: Adams. Okay, thank you. So I'm sorry, we have less than a minute. I'm on a free Zoom account. Um, no worries. I'm a uni student. I'm sorry. I understand. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on Artsman and today. Best of luck with the new shows coming out. I hope there are more so we can so we can go to them. Um, thank you so much. And thank yeah. you
2: so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening. A new episode is released every single week. So make sure to subscribe. And while you're at it, why not leave us a review too? You can also say hello to us on Instagram at
1: artsmanandsyn.com.